I, uh, I've made this point before, and I guess today I have no one to blame but myself. I've made the point before that whoever in church history we elected to select from the Bible those stories that are going to be considered children's stories. Whoever decided what was going to be considered children's stories, that person needs to be fired. (laughs) Haven't I made this point before? The worst offender, of course, is Noah's Ark. It's cute. It's a cute story about the wrath of God. About the judgment of God poured out. The day God annihilates everybody but Noah. Let's decorate our kids' nursery. So that every morning, that child wakes up in the wrath of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The screams of the soldiers. The burning human flesh, kids. Craft time. Okay, you understand? (laughs) So I've made this point that these are not children's stories. That the... they, on, of course, on one hand, when you zoom in, there are elements kids appreciate, but when you zoom out, you realize this is a word for everybody, right? And so there's going to be something today for kids, there's going to be something today for grown-ups, but today I've got nobody to blame but myself, because I knew there'd be a lot of kids in the, in the service. In fact, in the next service, they're going to stay for the whole preaching. So I picked a children's story, and I thought, how could I go wrong with this? I picked what is quite possibly the most famous story in the Bible. It's going to be perfect. The kids are going to know it, and I did it to myself. And I realized as I got into it, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. What, what could go wrong? The story of the Good Samaritan. If you want to turn there, it's in Luke chapter 10. But you know this story. This is possibly the most famous story in the whole Bible. You know the story. Uh, a, a man is traveling down a dangerous road. He's attacked by robbers. He's beaten. He's left half for dead. A priest walks by. And if anybody should help him, the priest should help him. But you know the story. priest wa- walks right on by. Uh, one, I heard one smart aleck say the preacher walked on by because the fellow had already been robbed. I'm offended by that. I want you to know. Then the Levite walks on by, and it was, of all things, an enemy of the Jewish people, an enemy, a Samaritan who's moved with compassion, stops, investigates, helps the guy out, takes him to an inn, pays for his room and board for a couple months, says, when I come back, if he spent anything more than this, I'll, I'll, I'll make it up to you. I'll pay for it. It's a story of incredible compassion. It is lavish. It is extravagant, limitless love. No one, and I mean no one, disagrees with the point of this story. No one ever doubts the beauty of the story of the Good Samaritan. Hospitals all over the world are named after this. Even local charities right here in town are named after this story, and rightly so, because it's beautiful. And even little children can get the point. We must be a neighbor. We must have compassion. But here's the problem. Here's here's the thing. Does anybody remember why Jesus told that story? He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't pull it out of nowhere. He didn't sit around with his disciples and go, Hey, fellas, I just thought of a random story. The story was told in answer to a question. This is just like Noah's Ark. When you zoom in, you see the cute little animals. When you zoom out and you see the context, you go, Oh, yikes. That's how this story is. Jesus made up this story to illustrate an answer to a question a guy asked him. And the, 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 the guy was a proud lawyer. And this proud lawyer asked him a good question, in fact, the best question. He asked him, how do I get saved? 
How does somebody get saved? Now, there's no better question than that. There's no more important question than that. His exact words were, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they talk for a little bit, and basically the answer comes down to love. Love God, love people as much as, you love, as much as you love yourself. In other words, perfect love. So this is the standard, Jesus says, to get into heaven. We'll say that again. This is the standard. Perfect love is the standard to get into heaven. Perfect, wholehearted love for God. Lavish love. Limitless love. Uh, 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 the, 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 you love God with everything you've got. And you know how you take care of yourself? You know how you always make sure you get fed? You always... You take yourself to the best doctors when you're sick. You always want help when you're hurting. You always want people to hear you out. I just want to be understood. I want people to give me the benefit of the doubt. You got to do that to others. You got to hear them out. You got to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know how you always want another chance when you mess up? You got to give other people another chance when you mess up. Yeah, you got to do all that perfect love. You got to do that for others. Love other people with the lavish love of the good Samaritan and you'll get into heaven. Uh-oh. You ever loved anybody like that? You said, well, yeah, maybe one or two. Yeah, I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking everybody you meet, do you love them with that kind of lavish love? No. And, and even those, think about those one or two people you've really helped in your life. I mean, you've set them forward. Good for you. They were probably people you believed in or you liked. Would you do that for your enemy? Would you do it for a stranger? No. I... Okay, so if you fail to always do that, if you fail to always have perfect love for God and perfect love for people, you will not get into heaven because the standard for heaven is perfection. Let me say it again so no one misunderstands me. Unless you have on your record a kind of lavish, perfect, righteous love, you won't get in. Yikes! So let's go back and look at this story carefully and we'll see the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's more than meets the eye. It shows us a couple things. It shows us that God's love is, God's law is beautiful, but God's law is an impossibly high standard. God's law is beautiful. We want it, and it's good, but God's law, impossible. Let's get to it. Luke 10, start in verse 25. Uh, everybody calls it the story of the Good Samaritan. It's actually the story of the proud lawyer. The Good Samaritan is just a story within the story of the story of the proud lawyer. I submit we change this to the story of the proud lawyer. All in favor? None. Exactly. So it remains, motion fails, it remains Good Samaritan, but I tried. Here we go. The story of the proud lawyer. You know it as Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. See, he had a motive there. He was trying to trap Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, bad motive, but nonetheless, great question. Great question. There's not a better question. There is not a more important question. If you don't know the answer to that question today, <laughs> there's not a more important question you could be asked. A, a, a lot of people have tried to answer that. This is what Jesus tells him. He said to him, well, don't you have a Bible? <laughs> he said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I, I, Jesus is saying, I know you're trying to trap me, but I love you, so let me help you here. Go to the law. This is what Jesus would have called his Bible. How do you boil it all down? How do you think the Bible says you get into heaven? What does the Bible have to say about getting into heaven? The lawyer thinks to himself, he's like, well, some of the commandments are about loving God with everything you got, and some of the commandments are about loving people. So I guess if I had to sum it up, I'd take Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and I'd take Leviticus 18, and I'd put them together, and I'd say it this way. Verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all 
your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and Leviticus 8, that's Deuteronomy 6, and Leviticus 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what Jesus says? Nailed it. You got it. The standard, if you want to get into heaven by following the law, here's your standard. The standard is love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And, 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 and look what he says next. Look at the next verse. He said to him, you've answered correctly. Now, don't just know this. What does he say? Do this and you will live. It's not, in other words, the standard is not only perfect love, perfect love for God, perfect love for humans. It's that you actually have to do it. It's not just enough to know it. You got to do it. So all you have to do, church, let's just sum up. All you have to do to get into heaven on your own is you have to have a perfect record of righteousness before God. Love God perfectly. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you know if you love God perfectly? Archbishop William Temple says it this way. To love God means your thoughts naturally and instinctively turn to God. He says you know what your real religion is by what you do with your solitude. When you're on your own, when you're alone, you're waiting in car pickup line, you're, 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 you're by yourself waiting in line, where do your thoughts naturally go? When you have no, you ready for this? And I know this will be hard for some of you to picture, when you have no phone. <sighs> I know. <laughs> okay, sorry. Hypothetically, if there were ever a moment where you had no phone, where would your thoughts instinctively go? I know where they'd go. Where is my phone? That's where you, okay? I understand. But do your thoughts instinctively drift to God? Do you meditate on his excellencies? Does your mind go there? If so, that's your real religion. If not, wherever your mind goes, uh, Archbishop Temple says, that's the real deity you serve. So let me ask you, does your mind go there? Because mine doesn't. And that's just the first command. Love God. There's another. Love your neighbor so much that when you wanted something really bad but didn't get it and they did, you were happy for them because your happiness is tied up with theirs. That's what it means to love God. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Oh, is that all? <laughs> Do you feel the force of it? I mean, he's right. After all, it's only fair to treat God with that kind of love. He made you. And it's only fair to treat your neighbor as the way you would want to be treated. That's the golden rule. Again, nobody disagrees that God's law is beautiful. No one disagrees. God's law is beautiful. You see that? To love God with everything we got? Who wouldn't want that? To love our neighbor? Everybody agrees. That's the basis of a great society. The problem is we don't do it. I don't do it. You don't do it. So God's law is an impossibly high standard. You're telling me the standard, if you want to get saved, if you want to inherit eternal life, a perfect record of righteousness, a perfect record of loving God and loving people? So you see what Jesus is doing. He's doing evangelism. He's working on this proud lawyer. And here we have this first heart-stopping moment in the story. Now, what's the lawyer going to do? What do you got to do to get, what do you got to do to get saved? You got to have a perfect record of love for God, perfect record of love for neighbor. You see what God's doing? God's law is convicting him. Because the lawyer knows he hadn't lived up to that. He knows God's law is doing exactly what God's law is supposed to do. It's supposed to, among other things, show us the perfect standard of God. It's, the law is supposed to show you how good society would be if we all follow the Ten Commandments. It's beautiful. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The law of God is beautiful. It's wonderful. We all want it. At the same time, the law is supposed to convict. Romans uh, puts it this way. Uh, the law was given to silence the mouth of the sinner, to shut the mouth of the sinner, to stop all this self-justification where we go on and on and make all these excuses. No, no one is without excuse. The law of God is to convict us because no one is justified by the works of the law. So you got it? God's law is beautiful. God's law is impossible. And the lawyer has a chance. The lawyer's got a chance to drop his pride, drop his self-righteousness, and say, oh, Jesus, I failed that. I haven't lived up to that. Have mercy on me, oh God, a sinner. And if he had said that, he'd have walked away justified that day, right? If he could have just dropped his pride and humbled himself and said, I can't meet that standard. That means I can't get into heaven on my own. But more than anything in the world, I want to get to heaven. So, so I need your grace. I need your mercy. Jesus, well, I know that's the standard. But is there some means by which you could, you could give me grace and mercy? He would have been saved. That's all he had to do. Instead, what does he say? But he, desiring to justify himself. Oh, come on, bro. He could have gotten saved. Instead, he won't let up. He won't relent on that self-righteousness. Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well. I mean, lawyers have to cross-examine, so they got to come back. How do you define neighbor? Seriously, you see what he's doing, right? If this is the standard of the law of God, that's too high. So we're just going to bring the standard down. Yesterday, I went around uh, on a jog in my neighborhood. And uh, from far off in a distance, I saw about four or five uh, adolescent boys, te teenage boys. And man, they, it was like five slamma jamma. They were playing basketball and dunking with great authority. I'm talking about two-handed jams. I'm talking about one-handed windmills. I'm talking about a reverse jam and they're hanging from the rim and as I'm running I'm saying have, I'm sorry did an NBA team move into Larkwood what is going on here and 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 the coach better sign these guys up this is incredible I've never seen such dunks from these teenagers and I get up there and they had adjusted the goal to about seven and a half feet <laughs> the lawyer is trying to take God's 10-foot goal of righteousness and saying, well, then who's my neighbor? Let's bring it down a peg. Let, let's, let's lower the standard. If you'll limit, if you'll lower the standard to something I can meet, yes, that's how I'll get into heaven. I will justify myself and say, well, God's law is not really that high. Nobody loves like that. This, the standard cannot be that kind of love. I'm convicted by that. I'm going to lower the standard. So who is my neighbor? And we do the same thing. We put limits on the law of God. Our usual limits when it comes to love of neighbor are who, when, and how much. We limit the who. I will help people who are like me, maybe, but I'm not going to help somebody who's my enemy or who's, you know, different from me. We, we tend to help those that are more like us. Uh, we limit the when. I have no trouble helping people. We say, I have no, we say all the time, I have no trouble helping people when they deserve it. See, when lightning strikes their house and the house burns down, I help them because they, they didn't do anything. But how am I going to help this person? They don't deserve it. They just abuse my help. We limit the when. We limit the how much. Well, I'm not doing so good myself. How am I going to help others? The Samaritan didn't limit the who. He helped an enemy. The Samaritan didn't limit the when. He didn't ask whether or not this guy deserved it or not. And he didn't limit the how much. He said, hey, you know, whenever I come back, I'll make good. 
So, obviously, the standard can't be that high. Jesus. So let's just lower the standard. And that's what most of us do. That's why it is always shocking. Every time I preach it, it is shocking to the hearer, and it is shocking even to this preacher. Every time I say the words, the standard for heaven is perfection. It's shocking. It shocks us to hear that. Because our whole life we're told, well, nobody's perfect. So God probably grades on the curve. And what we end up doing is saying, well, I know the standard for heaven can't be perfect love. It can't be perfect righteousness. The standard to heaven, we end up just sort of comparing ourselves to each other. But that's not the standard to heaven. You don't have to be better than somebody else. Listen, you may be more righteous and more loving than me, but I'm not the standard. If if, If the goal is to jump across the Grand Canyon, I may take a run and start and make it five feet. Well, you took a run and started and made it 10 feet. We're both going to meet at the bottom. You understand? It, it, the, the standard of God's law. So how's Jesus going to reach this guy? How's Jesus going to, oh, how's he going to cut him to the heart and make him wake up with some humility? You know, it's interesting. He did the same thing with the rich young ruler. Did you notice this? He did the same thing. The rich young ruler. Go back and look. It's the same gospel writer, Luke. The, the, the similarities are staggering. The rich young ruler comes up and says, hey, good teacher, what do I need to do to get saved? That, that question's asked four times in Luke. Two in Luke and two in Acts. Luke wrote the sequel called Acts. Four times that question comes up. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? The first was the rich young ruler, and he says, uh, well, follow the commandments. What are the commandments? He starts with the law because the rich young ruler is proud. He says, well, don't, don't commit adultery. Don't steal, I think. Don't murder. He starts naming them. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Cuts Jesus off, by the way. Cuts Jesus off. Yada, yada, yada to Jesus and says, yeah, I've kept all those. Oh. Just like this proud lawyer. We have someone who still thinks that they're going to get into heaven on their own steam. Yeah, I'm a good guy. I did it. So Jesus cuts him straight to the heart. Great. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Because I, uh, I think you have an idol of money. I think you put money ahead of God. So sell all that off. Cuts him to the heart. What are you going to do with a proud lawyer? How are you going to cut him to the heart? His issue is not money. His issue is not the God side of the idol, it's the love of neighbor side. He thinks, he thinks he's doing it. I'm, 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 doing, I'm, fu- I'm fulfilling the commands I need to do to love neighbor. So Jesus says, okay. So let's cut you to the heart. Once upon a time. Jesus replied, man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Jerusalem, the reason it says down, Jerusalem was up. And the road to Jericho is 18 miles long, and there's a 3,200-foot elevation drop. Along that way, that winding, which is still dangerous to this day, there's a pass called Blood Pass. It was so, there's so many little nooks and crannies and hidden caves. Robbers would hang out. Travelers, you know, flush with cash. They're coming from the big city. They're going out to Jerusalem to do business or the other way around. And they're travelers. They would have had to carry a lot of money. And so there's a great chance for robbers to seize their opportunity. And that's what happened to this poor man. Verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road, you know the story, when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, uh, Levites and priests of course, right, a priest uh, working in the temple, a Levite uh, not from the right tribe to be a priest, I mean not from the right family to be a priest, but from the right tribe to be a priest, like a priest helper, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Why? Well, lots of reasons are given. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I I think it's because they're they're smart. (laughs) They realize if the guy's half dead, not fully dead, but half dead, that means the robbers are still close by. And so they might get get robbed. And so out of self-preservation, who knows? 
they pass by. But a Samaritan, you've, made, you've heard this point made, Jews and Samaritans, sworn enemies, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, and then goes on to do 10, count them, 10 things for this enemy. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. Wow. He goes to him, and, and he, he risks his own life. He goes to him and bound up his wounds. Where would he have gotten bandages? I think it must have come from his own clothing. It's the only, I mean, why would he be carrying? He's not carrying a first aid kit, so he takes what he has. Pouring on oil and wine. Why did he pour oil and wine on him? He wasn't making him into a salad. The oil and wine, the oil would have been soothing to the pain, and the wine, the alcohol content would have provided antiseptic, healing, purifying, and soothing. Set him on his own animal. Kids, that's the first ambulance in the Bible. There's that donkey making its way to the hospital. Of course, he goes to an inn, which would have been the closest thing they would have had to a hospital. And he stays through the night to give him critical care. How do I know he stays through the night? And remember, he did all this for a stranger. He did all this for an enemy. I, you maybe, if you saw somebody on the side of the road, yes, you would help. And then you find out that, well, you know, it turns out they cheer for the wrong team or, that, you know, they're, they're part of the wrong political party and you'd move on. But you wouldn't take him to the hospital and then stay the night and, 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 and provide out of your own. Look at the next verse. The next day, I know he stayed the night because it's the next day he took out two denarii. That's a day's wage. A denarii, this would have been um, about two months worth of, of, of uh, uh, hotel fees, right? A game to the innkeeper, but this is the part. You, you might do all that, but even if you did all that for the guy on the side of the road, even if you took him to CRMC, even if you got him in the ER, even if you stayed a few hours to make sure he was okay until his family got there, even if all that, you wouldn't stay the night with him, and even if you stayed the whole night, you wouldn't say, oh, and by the way, let me see his medical bill. And nobody I know, I mean nobody, would do this. Now I'm coming back. Take care of him. Spend this. But whatever more you spend, spend whatever you want on the guy. And whatever you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. This is a formula for extortion. <laughs> this is begging for the guy. He's totally going to get taken advantage of, isn't he? When he comes back, he's like, what did you spend? Well, I felt for this man's health. We needed a private jet, and we needed to upgrade the whole inn, and we are no longer an express. We are the full holiday inn. We, you know, we decided for this man's health, we repaved the parking lot, and you said you've got, you signed that you, right? It's going to be taken advantage of. It's love without limit. Now, here's the thing. That's what you would do for yourself. So back to the lawyer. So which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? If you go back and look, all the commentaries point this out. That's not the question the lawyer asked. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? God flips it around and says, not what's the least you can do, who's your neighbor? The question you need to ask is, who can you be a neighbor to? And that means anybody that is in need, you can be a neighbor to. The best way I heard it put was this. A neighbor, the reason Jesus flipped that question around, a neighbor is not found by looking out the window. A neighbor is found by looking in the mirror. You be the neighbor. So who was it? Now the lawyer, he's such a racist, he can't even bring himself to choke out the word Samaritan. So instead he says, verse 37, the, the, ugh, the one who showed him mercy. <laughs> Jesus said, you go and do likewise. 
illustrates the beauty of God's law, but also the impossibility of keeping God's law. The story of the Good Samaritan was given an answer to a question, how do I get eternal life? This parable stands preeminent as the Lord's answer to all attempts at self-justification. The answer is, who loves like this? And not just once or twice, but who has a lifestyle of love like this? And the answer, if the lawyer was honest, would say, no one. Certainly not me. I don't love like this. Now, is it beautiful? Is there something wrong with God's law? Did God create us unable to keep his law? No, we fell. There, there, nobody doubts the beauty of this law. In fact, let, let, let's just spend one minute on the beauty of this law. The beauty of living like this. No one can deny. And we should teach this story to our kids. That's why I'm ambivalent. It is a kid's story. But kids, do you understand what I mean when I say neighbors aren't found out the window? Neighbors are found in the mirror. Kids, kids, this is for the kids. Kids, listen up. Uh, that's a little tricky. I'm using a riddle. Neighbors aren't found out the window. They're found in the mirror. Do you understand what that means? If not, I found a little poem that I want you to memorize, and this will help you understand what I mean. You ready, kids? You ever feel lonely? You ever feel like you want to go out and find friends? It says, the poem goes like this. I went out to find a friend, but friends could not be found. Nobody wants to be my friend. Oh, I need a friend. I'm going out. Who's going to be a friend to me? Who's going to be a friend? And I looked and looked. I went out to find a friend, and friends could not be found. I went out to be a friend, and friends were all around. Oh. <laughs> but get that, right? Because I know the parents in here are like, yes, yes, that's obviously for children. And it convicts my heart. Like, I know. I know. I know. So kids, this is just for the kids. Can you memorize that? I'll give you 10 more seconds to read it, memorize it. You got it? I'm going to make you say it. Okay, adults, help them out a little if you want. I went out to find a friend, but friends could not be found. I went out to... And friends were all around. It's lavish love. The idea of helping others is beautiful. So it is beautiful. It is beautiful. But it's also <laughs> impossible. God's law is beautiful, but God's law is impossible. There's a hard edge to this story, isn't it? A conviction. Who does this? Who loves like this? Who shows this kind of love? Not only to a stranger, but to an enemy. Who loves in this kind of radical way? Who risks? Who does this? Who risks his own life knowing there could be robbers nearby? Who risks his own life for the, for the light to help the life of an enemy? Who shows this kind of love to someone uh, who is, in, is obviously going to take advantage who does this? Now, could the answer, here's the beauty of all this, could the answer not be more obvious? Isn't the answer technically staring the lawyer in the face? And here's how I want to close. God's law is beautiful. God's law is impossible. Oh, but God's law is fulfilled in Jesus. Y'all, there was one who loves like this. There was one with a perfect record of love for God and a perfect record of love for neighbor. All our lives, we're told this story and, we're and we are told to be the good Samaritan. And that's fine, that's true. But listen to me, listen to me. We will never be the good Samaritan until we first see ourselves as the man beaten half to death. Helpless and hopeless. And, and, and the evil of the world couldn't help us. They just came to steal and kill and destroy like the robbers. And legalistic religion couldn't help us. They just pass on by. 
The priest and the Levite passed on by, and we couldn't help ourselves. Don't you know in your sin? Do you see that? Do you see the beauty of this? In our sin, when you're told the standard to get into heaven is perfect love, that leaves us like the man beaten on the side of the road. We, we, have, we have been the robber. We've been the priest. We've been the Levite. We've been everybody in the story but the one you told us to be, the good Samaritan. So God, is there any hope? Oh, there is one hope. There... There was a good Samaritan, wasn't there? Who, when he saw me in my helpless condition, and according to Scripture, by the way, I wasn't just half dead. I was all the way dead in my sin and my, trans, my transgression. There was one who was moved with compassion, and my good Samaritan, Jesus of Nazareth, came, and when nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me, and with his own clothing. He was torn, see, to bind up my wounds. He was poured out like oil and wine on the cross for my healing. And he, the, the antiseptic of wine can heal a cut, but the antiseptic of Jesus can heal a sin forever. And the soothing oil, he can comfort. He bound up his wounds. Friend, do you know that Jesus is still in the business of binding up broken hearts? Are you wounded today? Are you going to let your pride get in the way? Or are you going to leave your pride and come to Jesus and say, God, I can't meet that standard. I need your record of righteousness given to me. The standard hadn't changed, but you today can be given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It can be credited to you. So when God looks at the resume of Jesus Christ, it's got your name on the top. And that is how people get into heaven. It's not on their own righteousness. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness. It's what he did for us. Are you lonely? He's a friend. Are you in trouble? He's a good counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. See, young people, listen, I know, I know, you know, with technology, I am convinced you are more connected than any generation has ever been. And you are more lonely. And some of you are dealing with friendships. You know, some of you, your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend broke up with you and your heart broken. I know grown-ups, they can be tough sometimes. Grown-ups would say, well, that's not real love. That's puppy love. Hey, it's real too to puppy. <laughs> He's a healer. He loves you. Sometimes you feel like, well, I'm all alone. I heard Billy Graham preach a, about a woman who was, died at 102 years old, and they found her journal every day. Every day, the diary was the same, day after day after day, for the last two years of her life. No one came by today. No one loves me. Next day, no one came by today. No one loves me. It's easy to feel like no one loves you. I'm telling you, there's one who loves you. He loves you with this lavish, limitless love. And you say, well, I... I understand Jesus paid it all on the cross. That's right. He gave the two denarii, and in the same way, our good Samaritan Jesus paid it all on the cross. But, but what if I abuse his grace? What if, I, what, if, what if after I'm saved, I sin and I backslide and I mess up? Well, it seems he has this arrangement that when he comes back, uh, he has enough lavish riches of grace that he'll make it right even then. He loves you, and he's coming back. Now, are you going to reject that love or are you going to receive him? That's the point of the Good Samaritan. We're the guy beating up on the side of the road. 
What we need is a good Samaritan. Chuck's going to come and lead us in a time of response and invitation. And here's the amazing thing about this parable. I, I told you, and I, I, when, uh, when the rich young ruler asked, Jesus had to cut him to the heart with the thing about go sell all your money. When the good Samaritan asked, how do I get saved? Jesus had to cut him to the heart with this story about the standard of the good Samaritan being so incredibly beautiful, but also incredibly impossible. There's two more times. In, uh, in Acts chapter two at Pentecost, Peter preaches, and he said, Jesus loved you, he came, but you crucified him, and on the third day he rose again. And there's an interesting phrase. It says, and they were cut to the heart. And so they ask him, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And then in, one more time, Acts 16, in the Philippian jailer, there's this earthquake, and all the prisoners are free. He comes out, he realizes the prisoners are free on my watch. It's over. So this pagan jailer pulls out his sword to literally cut himself through the heart, and they stop him. We're all here. Don't kill yourself. He's like, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Remember what they tell him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And not only that, your whole household probably gets saved too, right? Believe and be saved. If you are cut to the heart, the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan, yes, it's impossibly high and holy standard, and yes, we should teach it to our children. But it also is meant to cut us to the heart. If you are cut to the heart today, be saved. Come to him. Be saved. He loves you. If, however, you've already been saved, as is the case for many of you, here's the crazy thing. When you see, this is incredible, when you see yourself as the man who was beaten up, helped by Jesus, do you know what you're now more likely to do than you've ever been? To be a good Samaritan. To go help somebody. To go heal somebody. Out of an overflow of the love that you've been given, it's going to make you want to love others. It's the, it's the most wonderful, craziest thing in the world. It's called God's grace. And when it gets in you, it flows out to others. So go be a neighbor today. Let's pray. God, I ask for your mercy, your compassion. And Lord, we, God, grant that we would never be like this proud lawyer who's always trying to justify himself and always trying to think of all the ways that he's okay and the standard should be lowered. God, let us face facts this morning. The Good Samaritan sets a bar that is so impossibly high, we could not, on our own steam, meet that law. So we humble ourselves. We say, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. And thank you that you, when all hope was lost, you sent us a rescuer who rescued us and has now bound up wounds and is continuing to bind up wounds and pouring oil and wine and paying for sin, giving us grace when we fail. And we await that day when our good Samaritan Jesus Christ is coming back Lord, until that day, let us, out of an overflow of your grace, let, us, let those of us who know you be a good Samaritan to someone. We ask this in Jesus' name.